Thanks, team. One of the things I love about worship at Oak Mountain is that we're always pointed to Christ as our hope. The songs that we sing, the hymns that we choose, it doesn't lead us to gut it out, but it reminds us that our hope is found entirely in Christ. Our hope of eternal life and our hope of spiritual health in this life as well. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're concluding uh, our study in this letter of hope that Paul writes to struggling, discouraged, isolated, marginalized new Christians in the town of Thessalonica. It's a series we began way back in the new year. Now, if you can remember that back that far, I have a question for you. How are you doing on your resolutions? We're about halfway through the year. Just wanted to do a mid-year checkup. A Wall Street Journal article that I read the other day says that 25% of all the people who make resolutions do not make it past the first week. And then when it comes to physical fitness or diet, those kinds of resolutions, almost everyone gives up by six weeks. Behavioral researchers say that most people fail because they make resolutions that are way too big, expect change, in too little time. And they also expect perfection without any failure. Behavior researchers tell us that most of us wrongly think that new habits can be formed in 21 days. Or for some of us, we think it's 30 days. The fact of the matter is, to develop a new habit takes over twice as long, a minimum of 66 days. And the people who were most successful at fulfilling their resolutions, ironically, are the people who actually anticipate some failure, and they make plans on how to get back on track. When failure comes. I don't know if you heard it. But that sounds a lot to me. Like the gospel. Progress. Not perfection. Slow things. Small things done slowly. Over a long period of time. Is what changes our lives. And changes our world. It's amazing how many of the principles that are true in pursuing physical transformation, physical fitness, dietary fitness, how many of those principles also hold true of spiritual health. Because of the work of Christ in us, we actually can make moves that cause us to progress towards spiritual health. Paul is writing to new Christians, young Christians, 
who are finding it all too easy to fall off the wagon when it comes to their resolutions to grow in gospel healthiness. So Paul reminds all of us of some basic attitudes that we need to continually adopt and embrace if we're to grow towards spiritual health. Our theme this morning, as it has been throughout the whole series, is our greater hope. And this morning's specific theme is our greater hope in gospel healthiness. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28, as Paul concludes this letter. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant an authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it just because He loves us. And He deeply desires us to make progress day by day towards gospel healthiness. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this letter, we're so thankful for Your word. And we're thankful to be able to study Your word systematically to study it in its wholeness. Thank you for this study of 1 Thessalonians. And Lord, send us from this this book, this letter, with a greater commitment in Christ to pursue spiritual health. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, Paul takes on the role here at the end of the letter as a spiritual personal trainer. Many of us have uh, physical trainers uh, when it comes to uh, personally working out. We hire personal trainers or we, we use someone at the gym. Paul becomes a personal trainer for the soul. 
If you notice when I read the text, this, this is filled with rapid fire guidance, rapid fire instructions of the things that he wants us to focus on in order to develop gospel healthiness. So three attitudes that Paul calls us to pursue. First of all, pursue gospel health through a right attitude toward leadership. Look at verse 12. Paul says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, we live in an age where people are becoming more and more sensitive, and rightly so, to spiritual heavy-handedness, spiritual abuse by leaders in the church. And I want you to realize that Paul is anything but heavy-handed here. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even issue a command. The Greek tenses in verse 12, they're not even imperatives. Paul is simply very gently making a plea that we as God's people would recognize the place of church leadership in our lives in order to propel us towards spiritual health. There are three elements of church leaders and their work that Paul wants us to acknowledge and respect. First of all, he says in verse 12, respect those who labor among you. That's, that's Paul's normal word for gospel ministry, teaching the gospel of grace. We need to be taught the gospel. We need to be reminded of gospel privileges. We need to be exhorted with respect to gospel responsibilities. And God has given us as gifts to the church spiritual leaders whose role it is to remind us, to teach us, to pray over us the truths of the gospel. And then he says in the second part of verse 12, uh, respect those who are over you in the Lord. Now, there's, there's a note of spiritual authority there, but Paul's, Paul's main point is to recognize that Jesus, your great shepherd, has gifted you with under-shepherds who have been given the responsibility to tenderly care for the health of your soul. That we need shepherds to guide us, to instruct us, to protect us if we're to grow toward gospel healthiness. And then he says at the end of verse 12, who also admonish you. Listen, we need correction. We at times need to be confronted in love. Every one of us who knows Jesus, though our eternal life is secure, we still do battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. It, it is still common for us to go astray. And Paul says, recognize the leaders that God has given to the church to guide us toward spiritual health. And then look at the attitude that Paul communicates to us that we're to have about church leadership in verse 13. 
esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, that's what in Greek is called a triple intensive adjective. Literally, here's what the original says. Esteem them beyond exceedingly abundantly in love. That is to be our attitude. Now, here's the thing. What I've said so far, if you don't know me and you don't know this church, it could really come across as self-serving, couldn't it? I mean, God has called me to be one of the leaders in the church. This, again, is why I preach verse by verse through Scripture. None of you can accuse me of being heavy-handed here because I just take the next passage. That is the beauty of being in a church that preaches consecutively through books. And when I come to a passage like this, then I don't need to shy away from it. I don't need to be sheepish because I know I'm simply dealing with the passage as it comes before us. Paul then concludes this part of our attitude toward leadership by saying, be at peace among yourselves. We all take a membership vow when we join the church. Remember the vow that says, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to improve its purity and its peace? That's what Paul is talking about here. We cannot become spiritually healthy apart from the role of church leadership that God has gifted his people with. I know of one church leader who probably was the most biblically faithful and historically orthodox church leader in history. This man consistently demonstrated a deep love for Christ, a passion for God's people, and a deep heart for the lost. Yet this man was continuously and viciously attacked in both his character and his doctrine by the very people he tried to shepherd. This man led thousands to Christ, planted many churches, and the people whom he led to Christ rewarded him with gossip and slander that continually wounded him and tore him down. The man that I'm talking about is the man who wrote this letter. The Apostle Paul. A man who loved God, loved the church, loved the lost, but whose reputation was constantly attacked, whose character was always slandered. 
But Paul's not angry. He's not bullying God's people. He still loves the church. And he's pleading with us all. He says, I ask that you would respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and you would esteem them very highly in love because of their work. A right attitude toward leadership as a sign and springboard of spiritual health manifests, manifests itself in a few ways. Let me cover them briefly. First of all, please, please be extra careful about entertaining or believing a bad report about church leadership. If Satan wants to attack a church, he'll begin by attacking their leaders. Secondly, avoid gossip and slander at all times, but especially as it relates to church leaders. And then lastly, watch out when it comes to being critical or cynical toward leaders in your church. Recognize that God has placed them there so that you might progress in gospel healthiness. Pursue gospel health through a right relationship toward leadership. Secondly, pursue gospel health through a right attitude toward community. In verses 14 and 15, Paul takes the focus off church leaders and on to community life, on our life together as the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, Paul reminds us that the body, the local church, builds itself up in love and wholeness and health as each part contributes its own work. We are to guide each other. We're to be personal trainers for each other when it comes to growth in spiritual health. And Paul gives special instruction that we are to be sensitive and aware especially of the weaknesses and areas of spiritual brokenness in one another's lives as we're engaged in encouraging each other towards spiritual health. Look at the three categories in verse 14. First of all, admonish the idol. Uh, this is a military term. It's of a soldier that won't stay in line. He's undisciplined or she is unruly. It means to have your arms crossed in passive or active rebellion. I am not going to follow orders. Paul says people with that kind of weakness need to be admonished. They need to be warned. They need to be lovingly confronted and rebuked. And then the second category, he says in verse 14, is encourage the faint-hearted. Now these are people who are timid. These are people who are anxious. These are people who are easily discouraged or easily disheartened 
And Paul says, encourage them. Seek to build them up through tender, comforting affirmation. Then he comes to a third kind of brokenness. In verse 14, he says, help the weak. Now, he's not talking about the physically weak. He's talking here about the spiritually weak. People that are having a hard time believing that the gospel is true for them. And he says, help these people. That word help is really where we get the term of crutches. And people say, well, we're not supposed to have crutches. Oh, yeah, we are. We, we are people walking around with broken legs. People with broken legs need crutches. But some people in particular seem to have spiritual injury and they need help. Have you ever seen uh, a basketball player that twists his ankle really bad or a football player that blows a knee or an athlete that tears an Achilles and the teammates come out and they lift them up and they put one arm around each soldier, a shoulder and they walk them off the court or off the field? That is exactly the picture that Paul is getting at when he says, help the weak. Now, this is where it gets important. Every one of us here this morning is broken. Because of the fall, because of sin, we all have baggage. But the baggage manifests itself in unique ways, either through being idle or faint-hearted or weak. Paul presumes that we are in community, we are in fellowship deeply enough that we know each other well enough to know what each other needs in order to progress toward gospel healthiness. Have you ever heard of pharmacists who have messed up a prescription? They were supposed to give a certain prescription, they messed up. It's in A Wonderful Life. We see, uh, of course, that, that famous example there. And, and the wrong prescription, wrongly administered, can create horrible side effects or can even cause death. We can't make mistakes on the prescriptions needed to help each other grow towards spiritual healthiness. Paul's very specific here. Let me give you some illustrations. You don't admonish the faint-hearted. You admonish the idle. If you try to admonish the faint-hearted, they will wilt and they will give up. No, you encourage the faint-hearted. You don't help the idle. You don't come alongside the idol like, like he's torn his Achilles. You warn him. You admonish him. You confront him in love. And then you don't encourage the weak. That would make no sense. That'd be like someone who has a broken ankle and you trying to cheer her on in order to run better. That wouldn't be loving, that would be cruel. And it would actually create more injury. We need to be in each other's lives so we know each other well. Our strengths 
and our weaknesses. And we admonish the idle, we encourage the faint-hearted, and we help the weak. And we must not confuse the prescriptions. And then Paul finishes up community life and says, be patient with them all. That means to be long-tempered, not short-fused. And oh, do we live in a church culture in America today that is short-fused. It's easy to get angry with people. It's easy to become impatient with their baggage and their weaknesses. And basically what Paul's saying is what James says in his letter. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. You want to change your kids' lives. You want to change your spouse. You want to see each other changed. Judgment and harshness doesn't do it. People change in grace. Be patient with all. Matter of fact, Paul builds on that in verse 15. It says, see to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Show each other grace, not judgment. That's how people move towards spiritual health. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone else. And even look at verse 26 and the affection we're to show each other. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. By the way, they still do that in the Middle East. When I was over in Beirut on a mission trip, they still greet each other by kissing each other on the cheek. By the way, this has nothing to do with your personal space and whether you struggle with it or not. This has nothing to do with your personality. This has nothing to do with how you were raised. We are called to show affection to one another in such a way that affirms and encourages so that we would move toward spiritual health. A right attitude toward leadership, a right attitude toward community. Oh, by the way, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the translation of the message, pastor for decades, wrote many books on how to develop and grow in spiritual health. Listen to what he said at the end of his life. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no spiritual health, No obedience in following Jesus and no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. And then he closes with these words. I am not myself by myself. Do you hear that? You and I will never become spiritually healthy people in isolation. God has set it up that way. And then lastly, pursue gospel health through a right attitude toward God. Paul, of course, saves the best and the most important for the last. And an attitude toward God that leads to spiritual healthiness is an attitude of deep trust and dependence in the wonder of grace and the gospel. Look at verse 16. Rejoice always. Few things will lead to spiritual health more than rejoicing. 
You've heard about the power of positive thinking. This is the power of positive faithing. I mean, Paul in Philippians says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Look, some of us are more melancholy than others. Some of us see the glass as half empty instead of half full. Let me tell you, it makes a difference on how we grow in gospel healthiness. And if you're a glass half empty person, you need to be around glass half full people. We are to rejoice always. It leads to spiritual health. And then in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If somebody's always grumbling, complaining, and whining, they will never grow towards spiritual healthiness. Now, you're not to give thanks for cancer. You're not to give thanks for losing a job. You're not to give thanks for difficulties. You're to give thanks to God, knowing that He is pursuing your heart to develop spiritual health in you through the difficulty. Now, see, we can give thanks for that. No, no one's telling you to give thanks when someone dies. We're to give thanks to God because God has promised to use difficulties to move us toward spiritual health. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Look at verse 17. Pray without ceasing. The way we move toward spiritual health is by developing a continual attitude of desperate dependence on God. And one of the ways that we know how we're doing with respect to the attitude of dependence comes down to our prayer lives. When we fail to pray, it means that we have way too much self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And that is not moving us towards spiritual healthiness. Then look at verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Again, a right attitude toward God is right attitude toward the Spirit that dwells within you. But what's interesting is when we read commands like this, don't we tend to look at them all individually and personally like it's, it's meant to you as an individual as you walk with Jesus? The problem is that not one of these is in the singular. Not one of these is addressed to any one of us individually. They're, they're addressed to all of us at the same time as we live in community with one another. So, do not quench the Spirit is a right attitude toward God about His Spirit as He is at work through others in my life. Have you ever heard this? Not very yet. Have you ever said this? Well, they're just playing Holy Spirit in my life. Actually, they are. And actually, they're supposed to. That's what Paul's talking about. Do not quench the Spirit. The work of God's Spirit in your life through others. Now, notice who goes on to say, 
He does go on to say, do not despise prophecies. Now, it's not talking about foretelling. It's not talking about fortune telling. It's talking about forthtelling. It's talking about the work of the Spirit through others to proclaim truth into our lives. And notice that he does say in verse 21, test everything and hold fast what is good. So there may be someone who's trying to play Holy Spirit and, and they're off. Paul says, sincerely test. In other words, be open and be humble. Be teachable. That the Spirit of God is using one another in each other's lives to draw us to gospel healthiness. And don't quench that spirit. And don't despise prophecies. We are to be open, humble, and teachable. And that leads to spiritual health. Then he says, abstain from every form of evil. Folks, we're never going to be spiritually healthy if we're constantly giving in to various forms of evil. If we're not loving obedience... We're not going to grow in spiritual health. Now, again, the key to loving obedience is constantly running to Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The the only hope for gospel healthiness is that we are continually running to the great physician. Jesus is the only one that can cure us of our spiritual ills. Now, he does use church leaders. He does use church community, but ultimately, Jesus is the only great physician. And then look what it says in verse 23 at the end there. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God just doesn't care about our soul. You do realize, right, that being the image of God not only means that our our spirit is bears the nature and the imprint of God's Spirit. But as His created beings, He's also given us bodies. And we will have these bodies for all of eternity. They'll be glorified, they'll be changed, they'll be transformed. But we're going to have bodies. And so God calls us to take care of our bodies as well as our souls. It means to open up our whole life to God. And then Paul reminds us of verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Remember what I said about worship here this morning, as I I believe it is every Sunday we gather? The beauty of gospel worship is it always is pointing us to hope in Christ. And that's what we're to do as believers. When I was in uh, Russia one year, I was in one of the museums, and there was a painting of John the Baptist and, and he was like this. That was the painting. And he wasn't doing like Saturday Night Fever. Okay? He was pointing to Jesus. That's what Paul does. You want to be spiritually healthy? You want to grow in gospel healthiness? Then let others point you to Jesus. Let sermons point you to Jesus. Let the fellowship point you to Jesus. And then 
be involved in pointing others to Jesus as well. Look what Paul says in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. You know, if someone's really depressed and they go to see a counselor, even if they're not even a Christian counselor, which, by the way, I would never counsel a non-Christian or a Christian to go to a non-Christian counselor. That's a whole different ballgame. But even non-Christian counselors would say to someone who's depressed, go out and find somebody who's in need and help them. One of the easiest steps toward gospel healthiness is to get your eyes off of yourself and on to others. And that's a right attitude toward God. Because Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to love our enemies just as our Father in heaven causes his Son to shine on the just and the unjust and causes rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then Paul concludes with this great emphasis on the gospel afresh, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're all called toward spiritual health, and we're all called to help each other grow along the path of gospel healthiness. Our personal trainer is ultimately not Paul, not church leaders, not even one another. Our personal trainer is ultimately Jesus, and it is by his grace that we're changed. But he uses the church, its leadership, and the fellowship as means at his power to create gospel healthiness. Do you want to be healthy? I do. Let's grow in health together. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this letter from Paul. Thank you that it points us to Jesus again and again and again and again for hope. And God, if there's anybody here this morning that, that has not repented of their sin and trusted Christ alone for salvation, would today be the day of salvation? And Father, for those of us who do know Jesus, might you put in us a burning passion to grow in gospel healthiness. God, help us to look out for each other, to be aware of each other's weaknesses. Give us humility and teachability. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction, the promise of God's grace that Paul says may May it always be with us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always.